Hi, everyone, and welcome to the April episode of Silas Speaks, Silas monthly podcast, which is your window into what is happening at Sila and at the securities and insurance and licensing industry. Silas Speaks is brought to you by Rhodes Online and Sila, and I'm Alistair Yu. And I'm Diana Ivey, and our guest today is Paula Cisneros, who is Vice President of Regulatory Client Program Management at Pearson View. We have a great discussion with Paula about her journey in this industry, and uh, it is very interesting, especially how Paula has done so many different things in the industry, both on the regulator side and on the industry side as well. Absolutely, and and she's been on all sides, and you know it's a really really interesting journey that. Paul has been on and it's so great that we had her on and you guys are going to be in tuned and in store for a really great conversation that you won't want to miss. Um, but now uh, there's some other things that you could look forward to on Silas April calendar. And let me tell you what those are on April 18th, which is a Monday, the Silas Southwest chapter will be having their meeting. That's at one o'clock on Thursday, April 21st, the Sila Minnesota chapter meeting will be taking place. That's at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. On Thursday, the 21st, there's also going to be a Sila webinar, which is part one of Surplus Lines, and that's at 3 o'clock. Don't miss that. And finally, on Tuesday, April 26th, the Sila Buckeye chapter, they'll be having their meeting at 11.30 a.m. And you can find out all about those calendar events on the Sila site. But Diana, uh, what regulatory updates should our listeners be aware of? Well, there's two that I just want to give a little bit of attention to. I think that are the most noteworthy. As always, there's tons of things, new things on the website to check out. But let me give a little mention about these two. Um, First is in Indiana, the Indiana Department of Insurance um, recently issued a bulletin directing Uh, directed to companies um, who submit premium tax or other annual renewal filings and fees to the state. And the bulletin is um, uh, notifying those folks that effective April 1, um, anybody who makes such filings has to submit those filings um, through the opt-ins system. And they will no longer be accepting any paper filings after April 1. Um, There's some really good information in the bulletin about how to establish your account on opt-ins if you don't already have one, as well as a lot of other detail around this new requirement. So very important for any firm that is impacted in any way. Take a look at that and make sure you get it together because it's coming right around the corner here. Actually, by the time this airs, it probably is already in effect. That's right. (laughs) And then um, North Carolina, I just want to give a mention um, for any uh, individuals or firms that have individual producers um, who are non-residents in North Carolina, just be aware that North Carolina is conducting a a cleanup, (laughs) a review of their systems and where they find a non-resident has no evidence of a um, a valid resident license in their home state, they are canceling the non-resident licenses. So very important to just make sure that um, any intentional North Carolina non-resident licenses have an associated valid resident license that shows up on the NIPR. Sometimes things don't show up. So you just want to make sure that 
you know, there's no issues there so that nobody's license gets canceled if, if it is needed. Um, and that's about it. And, you know, speaking of license, I guess we should note, uh, and it's happened already at the end of March, Massachusetts moved to SBS, right? They did. <laughs> yes. Thanks for that reminder. Absolutely. <laughs> there you go. But uh, that's great. Uh, I guess that's all. But without further ado, let's get to our conversation with Paula. Yeah, can't wait. Well, everyone, uh, today we have Paula Cisneros, who's the Vice President of Regulatory Client Program Management at Pearson View. Paula, great to have you on, longtime friend. Uh, we're happy that you could join me and Diane on the pod today. How you been? I have been well, Alistair. It's so nice to be here with you and Diana today. I am uh, having sunny weather finally here in Colorado. So last couple of days have been snowy and it's nice to, uh, nice to have some sunshine, a little vitamin D. Are you in Denver, Paula? I am just outside of Denver. Yep, to the southeast. It's great to be in a place where there's seasons. You know, you get the snow, you get nice spring, summer weather, and then back to snow, right? So we do. Area. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, sometimes we have all four seasons in a week. Um, and I think this week might be one of them, a little spring, summer, uh, fall, and winter all in one week. So, Right. Right. But you haven't always been in, in, in Denver. I believe you're a Sun Devil as well, right? I am. Yeah, I was. I'm a Colorado native and I'm pretty proud of that. So I was born and raised here, uh, but I did travel down a few hundred miles south to Arizona and attended Arizona State University back when there was one campus, maybe two. Um, now I think there's like four. Um, but yep, I spent a few years down in Tempe, Arizona. It's where I met my husband, and uh, and then I dragged him back to the cold weather um, in 1999. So my stint in Arizona was short, but I enjoyed it while I was there. You wanted the seasons. I needed the seasons, man. She wanted the cold, apparently. <laughs> you know, Arizona, for all of our Arizona listeners, I love it in March. I don't love it in August. <laughs> you're you're going to put to bed the uh, myth about the dry heat, right? Right. No, sometimes it just feels like an oven. That's right. Heat is heat. Heat is heat. Yep. Yeah. For so, sure. As opposed to the freezer in Colorado, right? In the winter. Very true. Very true. The, <laughs> the dry cold is probably more miserable than the dry heat. Sure. So you've been a long time uh, silo member, but more importantly, you have had one of the most interesting kind of journeys into the insurance industry. I mean, you've been part of the industry, right? You've been in the regulator side. You've been into, you know, the industry side or, or be the service provider side. I mean, you've seen all different parts of the insurance industry, right? <laughs> but, but more importantly, I mean, where did it start? I mean, everyone has a story how they got in. They can't, once you get in, you can't get out. Right. <laughs> well, for sure. It was a, it was a total accident. Right. Um, my path into the insurance industry was a total accident. So I took um, my senior year of college. I, I always thought I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And my senior year of college, I figured out that that was not at all what I wanted to do. And I was what, feeling what really was that? Really lost. <laughs> I, I really thought I wanted to be a defense attorney, uh, in particular, a defense attorney. Um, and then I decided, and I wanted to work with kids and I did a internship where I got the opportunity to do 
just that and work with juvenile offenders. And it broke my heart. And I was like, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. This is not, I'm not built this way. I have to go find something else to do. And I was very, very lost. And I remember walking into the career center at ASU and saying, you guys got to help me. Like I'm four months from graduating. I have no desire to go to law school. This is not what I want to do. Help me find a path. And they had me sit down and take a test assessments, my first foray into assessments. Um, They had me sit down and take a test and that test spit out a code and that code lined up with a book and you could go through the book and find all the different jobs that match kind of your personality and your drive and your desires. And one of those was underwriter. And I went, the heck is an insurance underwriter? And why am I built to be one? <laughs> They're um, mysterious. Do they really exist? No. What do they, they really do? Exist? Um, and so I looked Wait, into Hold on, it. hold on. Yes. There's more than one, right? And you just went down the list. I was like, oh, underwriter. Right. Oh, underwriter. of course, oh, of course. I mean, I, maybe it was alphabetical. You were like, no, 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 but under. (laughs) It was one of many, yes, but it was on the list. Um, And right after that, um, we, the school had a job fair, huge job fair at the, um, at the arena. And there were a number of companies that came and there was a large insurance carrier that showed up and they were doing recruiting in particular for claims adjusters and underwriters. And I thought, well, this feels like a little bit of a sign, right? I always think things happen for a reason. And this title had shown up and here this carrier was and they were recruiting. And so I should, I should talk to them. And so I did mm-hmm. and uh, met with the recruiters, put in my application, graduated from college, hadn't heard from them, needed a job, went and did something else for six weeks. It was the worst six weeks of my life. Um, some of my close friends know what that experience was. It was nothing illegal, but it was horrible. <laughs> it wasn't underwriting. It was not underwriting. <laughs> now she has to tell us what this is. <laughs> You're killing us now. It had to do with, uh, I cleaned rental cars in hundred degree weather in Arizona. So I won't name oh. the employer, but it did involve cleaning rental cars. That explains why she moved to Colorado for the cold. Yes. Totally makes sense. In a suit, nonetheless, in a suit. They made us wear a suit. Um, but about six weeks into that job, uh, the carrier came forward and was like, come on, come come to work for us. And, and so I gleefully ran and went to work for them. Um, so I spent a little over a year as sitting in an underwriter's chair and kind of getting to know what that looked like. Mm-hmm. And then the mountains drew me home and it was time to come back to Colorado. And the, um, I was married at this point and the company that I was working for had a location in Colorado, but not near where my husband's employer was. And so I had to leave. Um, and I took the experience in that industry and transitioned into my first agency job. Right. Um, and so I managed, um, for a large agency broker, I managed all of their licensing. So all of the staff that was licensed in that office, um, I managed their licensing nationwide. So I managed all of their, um, making sure that their renewals were done on time, their original applications were done online. Um, If they were local to Colorado and it was their first time, I helped them get their testing arranged. Um, And then I also managed all of their uh, contracting. So the contracts with the various carriers. And that was kind of my first foray into licensing and contract management in the insurance world. Right. But you got to see the the entire gamut of the producer from, you know, the agency side, you know, 
following up, making sure they did their pre-education, their, their CE, making exactly. following up, following up on, you know, did you get arrested yet last week or did you get married or did you change right. your name or anything like and, that? And who do we have to disclose that to? Right. And do, and can we, and it was, it was right. really, I'm going to make myself sound old now, but it was before we had a lot of the tools that we have to do this today. And so, right. you know, I remember I had three ring binders that had, I had a three ring binder for each person that had a section for each state that they were licensed in. And the front page was one of those plastic portfolios that I shoved their paper license in. And then behind it was, you know, the paper copy of the application that I had submitted and a note about what all the requirements for that state were, right? Were they a, were they a biennial um, renewal? Were they an annual renewal? Were they birth month? Were they 1231 so that I could keep on track of it? Right. And then I had a humongous spreadsheet where I tracked it all. Um, this is before the Model Act? It was, yes, just like before yeah, the like Model it. Act. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, so yeah. <laughs> things got lots easier, but at the same time, things got lots easier. I decided I wanted to do something more and I wanted to be involved in regulation. And so I started looking for um, state jobs. Right. Uh, my mom had been a longtime state employee. She mm-hmm. loved it. She was like, it's the best place to go. Um, you know, your retirement will be fantastic. I think you'll really, really enjoy it. And I really liked the idea. Mm-hmm. And so um, I applied for a, a job with the state of Colorado and was hired as a market conduct examiner. And that was my first kind of foray into uh, the regulatory world. Mm-hmm. And I liked it, right? I I kind of got to go back to my carrier routes right now. I'm in going into the carrier's offices, looking at how they're paying claims, looking at their underwriting practices, making sure right. that they're doing things that I was able to kind of build on that, that contract experience, that legal brained experience that I had from um, the agency side over into, into a, a chair at the, at the department. And I loved it. It was great. Um, I spent a number of years doing that work. And then I spent about a minute and a half in rates and forms. That was not, I was not built for that. That takes rates and forms. Folks take a special, special breed of people. It was not me. Um, and so I very quickly moved out into compliance and then I took on investigations and then at the very end came full circle and took on licensing. Um, and that's really where I started to get involved in silo was when I took on that licensing piece at the Colorado division of insurance. Wow. So just, I mean, just, you've been through, you've seen a lot and you've worn a lot of hats that are so interconnected in the life cycle. I mean, you've been an underwriter, you've been in, you know, out there looking at, you know, selling policies and looking at policies, right. You've done the, regulatory side of managing licenses you've been the regulator side which and and being the market conduct examiner is really interesting you know just going on site and saying okay you know this is how it's supposed to be done let's see if you're doing it the right way you know and also being able to relate and not get kicked out (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) so that's really cool right yeah so you've been and then and then of course you joined silas so you've met everybody Now I've met everybody. Yeah, no, um, joining Silo was probably one of the more exciting things that I've done in, in my career. Um, I remember the very first introduction I got to, um, to Diana, um, and to the whole Silo concept was at, uh, the old, it's insurance summit now, but it used to be called E-Reg. 
Um, and Diana was attending and I, um, Jason McCartney, who was then from Nebraska, he had not moved out into the other space at that point, introduced me and was like, you have to start coming to Sila. We always want regulators to come and you need to come and speak on behalf of Colorado and you'll get to meet all of these new people. And so my first Sila, I actually attended as a regulator, um, not as a vendor. And I was amazed at how many people were there from all the different walks of life that I had kind of been through mm-hmm. um, up to that point and just the information that was shared and the camaraderie. And um, I, I think that introduction next to the waterfall in Kansas city to Diana was one of the best things that has happened because it's um, really encouraged me to participate more in Sila and to take in everything that it has to offer. Absolutely. So just as we go back to the, the journey, the career, right? Um, Paul, you went, you were at the insurance department in Colorado for some time, right? I was. Uh, maybe about 10 years. And yeah. then you decided, to, and then you moved on to a different role, right? I did. I did. Yeah. I, um, I learned of an opportunity with one of the exam vendors mm-hmm. um, as a program manager. So, you know, kind of the person who, who manages that relationship with the client. And I had had some experience because I was a client of an exam vendor, right? They were providing services to me. And I thought, gosh, what a fun next step, right? I, I feel like I've kind of, I've done a little of this and a little of that and a little of this. And so I, I'm constantly looking for a new challenge. And this felt like a really good new challenge. Um, so yeah, I joined Pearson View in 2013 um, as a program manager. And I was primarily responsible for uh, managing insurance programs and real estate programs um, because that's what I knew, right? Um, And then my career through at Pearson has just kind of grown and evolved. Um, You know, I took on a directorship role and then then ultimately moved into a vice president role in the last couple of years. But um, yeah, I've gone full circle. I feel like I've pretty much done everything now in the insurance industry that there is to do. Um, or at least work for worked for each stakeholder. Um, right. Obviously, I haven't done everything. Um, I'm not an actuary. Again, not the not a hat for me. Right. No, I mean, absolutely. I mean, you're 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 just such a fascinating guest because you've worn every hat, right? You're able not only to sympathize but literally to empathize, you know, with each and every stakeholder in the process because you've been part of that. You you've been part of that, right? So that's great. I mean, what if you what 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 well, one, I guess I'm going to say that the grass is the greenest where you are right now, right? <laughs> of, course. <laughs> of course. Very green. It's lush. Absolutely. Are you listening, boss? Um, <laughs> um, no, I think each of the each of the jobs that I've had have had their pros and cons, right? Mm-hmm. I have learned a lot in each role. There have been things I absolutely loved and things that I absolutely hated about each job I think that I've ever had. Um but I've been able to kind of capitalize on the things that I love and build on them to make what I think has been a really, you know, fun career. I'm about 25 years into my professional career. That's, I think, over halfway. Gosh, I hope so. Um, and I, I feel like I've just had some really great experiences. I've met some amazing people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes I think it would be interesting to go back and see, like, what does being an underwriter look like in 2022 compared to when I was doing it in the 90s? Because I'm guessing it looks a lot different, right? 
um, we still used a ton of paper. I remember having scan baskets where I, you know, I was going through homeowners applications, literal paper homeowners applications with Polaroids attached to them Mm -hmm. (laughs) as the photos where all of that is very digital now. So I think it would be interesting to circle back through the experience, but I still feel close enough to it to relate and to empathize um, with the folks that are in those roles today. Right. It's just an amazing journey that you've described, Paula. And and as if that's not enough, you've been very, very involved in Sila as well. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey, like how you got started there and how it's yeah. evolved to your board member? Yeah, for sure. So again, you know, I, I was introduced to Sila in, in the mid to late 2000s. Um, is that what we're calling it? Yes. Last century is what the kids are calling it. We were still in the 2000s. <sighs> I know. Oh, you were born last century. Um, So yeah, my first, my first time I attended was as a regulator member. Um, And I, I remember being really nervous sitting up on that stage for the regulatory updates the first time um, and, and speaking in front of so many people. And I remember just being shocked. Like I knew it was a big deal, but there were like 600 people there. Like it was a big deal. There were a lot of people that really wanted to hear what those regulators had to say. Um, and so I did it as a, as a regulator for a couple of years before I moved into, um, into the role at Pearson. And I've been attending as a vendor, um, as a Pearson representative and as a vendor of Sila ever since, because I just think, um, again, the networking opportunities are amazing. The, the benefits, the things that Sila does for our industry, whether whether you're an exam vendor or you're a, an agency person that's trying to figure out what are the rules for licensing adjusters in these states, like the the tools and the forums and the ex- information exchange is just there is. I don't know that industries have something like this. We don't have one that is this robust, um, you know, for what I do. So I I I just think that the the opportunities and the material are, are invaluable and, and for everybody, right? It's not just focused on one stakeholder group. I think one of the things that Sila does an amazing job of is making sure that there is material and relevance for all of us. Mm-hmm. So whether you're there as a carrier or you're there as a regulator or you're there as a vendor, it, there is absolutely relevant material um, that Sila puts out. For us to use. Um, I had volunteered for just a couple of little committee things and then somebody said to me, hey, you should join the board. And I was really interested to understand more about the inner workings, right? Like I already knew it was an amazing organization, but how does it, how does it get there? Who are the people behind the scenes? How is it structured? Um, how does how does Sila work? And, and so I researched the board structure a little bit and kind of the opportunities that were available and felt like the vendor chair role was a really good natural fit for me to be able to continue to contribute at a higher level um, beyond just participating in some of the, you know, the working groups and the subcommittees and attending chapter meetings and, and the other stuff that I had been doing to date. Um, so I've been on the board now about four years. I love the work. It's super fun. Um, we, there's just an amazing group of volunteers, whether it's committee volunteers or it's board volunteers. It's it's an amazing group of people that come together to make Sila work. Yeah, it's four members by members, really, because yeah. the board, they are members. Um, and 
I think as members become more experienced and more confident, and just as you did, you started joining committees here and there and, you know, look where you are now. And I think that's what makes the content so rich is the members as they learn and grow, then they pay it forward. They give it back to the membership. It's really I think cool. That's, I think that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, I think it can be a little daunting the first couple of times you go to Silo, right? The first time you go to Silo, hopefully you go to the new member orientation at that at the national conference and you learn a little bit about everybody that's there and what we do and how we do it and why we do it. Um, but I would highly encourage anybody who is a member who has participated in anything to find out a way to give back. There are some very simple not huge time commitments, ways that you can get involved and you can get, you can give back what you're getting out of Sila. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, Hey, listeners, reach out to me. If you're nervous, if you're like, Oh, I, I, I'll listen to a podcast and I've been thinking about joining the committee, but I don't know how, well, here's your invitation. My contact information is on the board website, send me a note and I'll tell you how to get involved because it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And as Diana mentioned, uh, Paul, you're also the vendor chair, right? Message for the vendors. Oh my gosh. Message for the vendors. <laughs> um, don't forget to get your booth at this year's Sila conference. Uh-huh. Um, it's going to be fantastic. Seattle is awesome. Our space is amazing. Right. Um, so yes, sign up for your booth and don't forget your sponsorship. We want both. Um, and come, come and, and meet the members. I think, you know, I, Seattle again is going to be fantastic. And, you know, the national meeting is such an awesome opportunity to interact face to face with the people that you support kind of behind the scenes or through the, the camera, um, day after day. So come to the meeting, be part, meet these people face to face. We all want to see you there. That's right. That's right. We are expecting a, a, a large group, you know, a lot of people to be there. And it is one of the only places where you have such a large gathering of, you know, industry, regulator, you know, vendors all in a single location. Right. And nothing Absolutely. beats Seattle in October. Seattle in October. <laughs> I think it's going to be great. It definitely will be great to see everybody live and in person as right. well. And, and that's the thing, live and in person, right? I mean, we've all been working at home. <laughs> we've all been remote. <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> and, and Paul, I guess you've been remote too. How's that been? Yeah, I have been remote and um, it has been, it's been an adjustment, you know, for, uh, I, I always have kind of been on the road. And, um, you know, since COVID started in early 2000, this is probably the most I've ever been at home. Um, in a really Are you long still time. remote? Are you still fully I am remote? still fully remote. So oh, okay. our, a couple of our offices have opened back mm-hmm. up for essential folks um, that we need, we need in the office to do things with paper and to be there for walk-ins. And, uh, but for the most part, we are still working fully remote um, and I am no exception to that. So I have moved my office in my house three times now because I can't figure out where I want to sit. <laughs> um, I'm trying to figure out what, where we have the best lighting and the best temperature control. And I guess that's one of the good flexibilities of being at home, right? I can just kind of move around and drag my desk from place to place. Um, it may change depending on the season. It, it may, right? It may. In fact, 
Uh, last week, we were having very summer-like weather, and I found that the newest spot that I have decided to sit in is quite warm. So, may have to change. May have to change <laughs> when the when the weather warms up. I may have to retreat down into the cold dungeon of my basement again. <laughs> we'll see. So I know that there have been, and one of the things that we wanted to know was how this has affected education, right? I mean, there have been a lot of changes due to remote, remote learning, so on and so forth, just people not being able to go out. I mean, what have the impact to the education, you know, portion of this industry been? Yeah, certainly, you know, education and testing have, we have had to really accommodate the change in, in approach. Um, you know, the online testing for um, high stakes exams, like the ones that, that we deliver um, to candidates who want to become licensed in their, in their home state, have traditionally only been delivered brick and mortar, right? You have that test proctor who's looking over your shoulder. You go to the, you go to the building, you put all your personal belongings away. Um, and although we were starting to just barely dip our toes into the, into the world of online testing in late 2019, early 2020, for this market, it's not really a place we had gone. Um, and for better or worse, that's where we are today. Um, so we have, a significant number of um, insurance departments that have chosen to take their their examinations online and offer them both in brick and mortar facilities, but also through online testing. Um, you know, for for some candidates, they really like that, and it's their preferred method. There are still a bunch of candidates that want to go and take it in a test center. They like the they like having. Con- not having to control their environment. They like being able to give that piece over to somebody else and, and they just can go in and focus on their tests. They don't have to worry about, um, you know, we were joking at the beginning. I hope my doorbell doesn't ring because it's really loud. <laughs> well, my doorbell might get me kicked out of an online test, right? Because it's a human and it speaks and, oh. and, you know, those are the sorts of things that, that can get, get your exam revoked. So, um, it has been a big adjustment. I think the way people have learned or the way people are forced to learn today has also really been an adjustment, right? You know, not everybody loves learning on a computer. Not everybody loves this, um, this, this virtual interaction. Many, many people like to sit in a classroom with their notebook and their professor standing up at the front of the room with their, you know, their uh, whiteboard and their, you know, whatever, explaining things and and the touch and feel of a textbook and and that has really changed right um even in in lower education my kids don't have textbooks we were we were joking about that the other day my kids are in middle school and um i had a friend over who who doesn't have kids and they were like well don't you just have a textbook and they were like no there's no textbooks anymore um they've gone to all online there's online resources, but there's not that good old fashioned wrap it up in a newspaper textbook <laughs> that we had. Right. Um, and so I think I think people have really had to adapt. And um, and for some, that has been an easy adaptation. And for others, it's been it's been really difficult. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole game has kind of changed or, or the delivery method has changed. Right. And that's not always, you know, optimal for, for all the participants in this. Right. All the candidates. Exactly. You know, but just, you know, for the people that do like online, are we seeing more? And Diane, maybe you can talk about this. Are are people actually getting their tests done earlier? 
They still wait till the last minute. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. Maybe I don't. We haven't taken a close look to see. Like, are they doing things faster? Um, I know they're doing it at times that are more convenient for them. So I'm I've kind of been amazed. You know, we're a global organization, and so um, we have online testing available pretty much 24 hours a day. Because you know, while it may be 1:45 in the afternoon for me. You know, it's 6.45 in the morning for somebody on the other side of the globe. And so what's been amazing to me is watching when our U.S.-based examinees choose to take their test, because some of them are choosing to take it at midnight. Some of them are choosing to take it at four o'clock in the morning. And I don't know if that's because that's when they focus best or if that's just because that's when they know the kid's not going to run through the room. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think there's a number of folks that have really enjoyed the flexibility right. of being able to pick their date and time and not being confined to when there's a seat available at a brick and mortar test center. Absolutely. You know, there's no doorbell ringing at 4 a.m. Hopefully not. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully not. I mean, that's how <laughs> Amazon delivers that. <laughs> Although they have started that early morning delivery thing, the overnight delivery. I don't know if you have it where you are, but we do. Where like you just wake, it's like magic. You order something and you wake up the next morning and they left it on the porch for you. We don't have that. <laughs> we are. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. So, I mean, do, do you see these? I mean, there is kind of a push here or, or a movement here to go back to the office, right? Mm-hmm. Just, but that said, I mean, do you see some of these changes, you know, sticking around with virtual testing, with virtual delivery, things of that in the education sector? I do. I think so. I mean, I think it's going to be, it's going to be very individual client driven. Um, but we kind of like to joke that the horse is out of the barn and it's going to be hard to put it back in, right? There are, enough people who are really benefiting from online testing, for example, that they're, they're never going to want to go back to not having that as an option. Um, I think we will see things. I think we're going to see the the volume in each kind of methodology ebb and flow. Um, I think, you know, we may start to see more um, brick and mortar testing numbers come back up as people are getting more comfortable going out back out into the world, being back in an office, you know, some folks may be like, I don't want to sit in my office for four hours this afternoon. I'd much rather drive down the street and go to a testing center to take my tests today than do it from my office where I sit every day, all day. So I think it's going to ebb and flow. Do I see a world in the future where we don't have one or the other methodology? I absolutely do not. I think that, that from a testing perspective, you're going to have both forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, that's the final word. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> but good stuff, Paula. Really quite quite an amazing journey and run. And um, we'd like to ask you our, our final question, which is, um, are you ready for it? I don't know. I'm scared now. Okay. <laughs> so looking back on your career and your, your journey, which has been really a full circle one, really amazing journey that you've had. Um, what would you give yourself? What advice would you give yourself when you were just starting out? Yeah, absolutely. That is, that is a good question. Um, and it's actually about education, believe it or not. Um, do your education early in your career because the farther into your career you get, the more tired you get and the less you want to do it. <laughs> 
Um, well, 100%. I, um, I am a huge believer in always learning and, um, you know, lifetime of education. I think it's super important, but man, I wish I would have finished my CPCU when I started, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, (laughs) (laughs) because now I, I am tired and I don't want to read books and take all those tests. Um, so yeah, I think that would be, if I had it all to do over again, I would have gotten further in my education, um, earlier in my career. Cause I just think it's easier. And I think as you get older, life gets busier and whether that's busy with your family or it's busy with your career or it's busy with both, um, the time for that kind of deep dive learning dwindles. And so Paula, you should have done your CPCU in the nineties because I don't know if it'll ever happen now. But good for you for for doing it and doing it at your own pace. There's no rush. There's no deadline. I'm with you. I'm doing mine too. So <laughs> I mean, I'm supposed to take a test next week, and it's uh, the slow I, slog, right? It's I think I'm on chapter three. <laughs> we you can, can have do a it. buddy group at the education conference. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say maybe maybe Diana should be my accountability partner. They we do that for all sorts of things, right? Working out, losing weight. Like that's maybe right. I we should have we should an accountability partner for continuing education. We'll be buddies for CPCU study. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Well, well hey. Great. Absolutely. Great. I mean, Paul, thanks so much for taking time. We know that you're busy, right? But we really appreciate you being a part of this pod and taking time out of your day and, and talking to us about you know, all the things that you've learned during your time in the industry. We like also like to thank you for being the vendor chair on the silo board. That's really great. And, you know, as you said, everyone, vendors, get a booth right? <laughs> Donate, right? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love the Silas Speaks podcast and I'm honored that I was invited to be here today and to spend some time with you and I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, thank you. So thank you. And we look, look forward to having you back, right? Seeing you soon. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Paula. Thanks, thank Paula. Bye now. Well, Diana, that was really another great pod. You know, we'd like to really thank Paula a really great conversation and you know from thinking about maybe being a claims <laughs> working with the state of Colorado and, and now here she is at Pearson you know building a content right and and education wow yeah, great journey really absolutely um but for all of you out there if you have questions for us please reach out our email is silas speaks at silent.org uh be sure to follow us on twitter at, at Silas Speaks. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks everyone for listening. We hope everybody remains safe and we certainly hope we can meet in person again very soon. Right. And if you hear this before, we we will be in Kansas City for the NAIC meeting in the early November. So if you see us, give me a high five. <laughs> yes, early November, Alistair. Oh, early <laughs> November. I, what was I thinking? I don't know where I am. But that's okay. Until then, until we the see The materials in this podcast are intended to provide a general pod. overview yes, of the issues then. contained herein and are not intended, nor should they be construed, to provide specific legal or regulatory guidance or advice. If you have any questions or issues of a specific nature, you should consult with appropriate legal or regulatory counsel to review the specific circumstances involved. The information or opinions communicated in this podcast are not necessarily opinions of SILA and the SILA Foundation.